from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. But it kind of reminds me of like Festivus. There's a lot of airing of grievances happening kind of consistently. And um, it's a question of whether or not the Senate leadership can rebuild those bridges. Yeah, I think there is kind of the question of whether or not the Missouri Constitution should be changed as easily. I'm Sarah Fenske. On January 5th, the Missouri legislature kicked off its annual session. Lawmakers have been meeting since then, working on a budget, a new congressional map, and a host of other matters. It hasn't always been pretty. And joining us now with more from Jefferson City is Sarah Kellogg. She is St. Louis Public Radio's Statehouse reporter. Sarah Kellogg, welcome. Hello, good to be here. So, Sarah, the big story so far seems to be redistricting. What task does the legislature have before it related to congressional districts? Absolutely. And it's it's a pretty monumental task. It's the, it's the once in a decade task of, of drawing Missouri's congressional districts. And, and they have made some progress already. It's only been one full week. But the House committee, you know, passed a map this week. And it, it's kind of it's pretty similar to the map we have now. Hmm. It would keep the current makeup of, her, of our congressional delegation, which is uh, six Republican seats and two Democratic seats. And it will be up for debate on the House floor starting Tuesday. I'm sure we're going to hear a lot from lawmakers on that map. So people had originally thought that Democrats would have no say in this map. I believe our own Jason Rosenbaum, who I like to quote as a sage of politics, he had been on the record saying that at one point. What has changed the equation in the Missouri House? So what's changed is the makeup of the House itself. And so there have been a series of resignations on the House Republican side, and they no longer have the majority that they need in order to pass an emergency clause uh, attached to this map. And, And that clause is needed because if it's not, the maps will go into effect after the primary. So people will be voting for districts that they theoretically like don't know what they look like, you know, for people to represent them. So they need that emergency clause. And so Democrats now have a lot of leverage on on how, you know, one, how the map looks like. And, and two, you know, there's been talks of whether or not this even constitutes an emergency. Uh, Democratic uh, House Minority Leader Crystal Quaid has talked about that, too. So there's a lot <laughs> going on. So that question of whether it constitutes an emergency, I mean, it feels like an emergency if there's going to be like ballots being printed. We need to know what these districts are. Are Democrats saying they could use this as leverage to achieve other goals as well? Oh, yeah. Uh, and, and Representative Quaid has talked about that. She On the first, her first news conference that she gave to reporters after session the first week, you know, she talked about a lot of things around the table that aren't necessarily related to redistricting. But I think for one, you know, how the map looks is a big one. There has been a call from some Republicans to make the map 7-1, which would leave Democrats only one seat, I think with this emergency clause needed, it's not going to happen. Interesting. Well, so it seems like this is a problem for Republicans that they could solve pretty easily. They could just fill those seats. Uh, What's going on that that hasn't happened? Well, they would have to have special elections to do that. And, and, And one, Governor Parson seems like he's not really amenable to that. Um, But secondly, you know, I've heard other lawmakers say, you know, by the time a special election happens, it's going to be too late for these maps. Like these maps need to get passed as soon as they possibly can. It's the first agenda item. So by the time Mm. we even hold a special election, you know, are they going to 
you know, be there in time. So you said that this map that's being talked about at this point is pretty similar to the map we have now. I assume keeps, you know, St. Louis. We have that District 1 represented by Cori Bush. We have District 2 and Wagner. Would Democrats be relatively happy if that kind of map moves forward? I, I, I that's, it's, it's a, who knows? <laughs> I, I know that they're going to be putting some amendments into the map on Tuesday. I've been told that basically from from Representative Quaid. She told reporters that. I think how the districts are drawn, there kind of wants to be some changes. I know um, for the first district, uh, Cory Bush's district, I know they kind of want to shift the proposed district to go, I know, I don't want to get too into it, but like more <laughs> northwest instead of uh, southwest. So that's kind of been a discussion. Um, I think that, you know, it could be worse, but I think there are some changes that Democrats would like to see. Mm-hmm. Well, it's going to be very interesting to see how that plays out. I know you'll be busy covering all the latest details on that. The thing that may affect even more Missouri voters at this point, they also have to pass a budget. Do we know anything mm-hmm. yet about what's going to be in this? Well, as far as the budget itself, not too much. Um, I know we're going to get a lot of details from that from Governor Parson when he delivers his State of the State next Wednesday. So that's when we're going to get a really big outline of of his legislative priorities and and budget priorities. But um, we do have a supplemental budget um, that's already been proposed, or at least one supplemental budget bill. Um, And that's going to also have to happen fairly quickly. Uh, For one, uh, Mike Parson announced his support for raises for all state employees. um, And they want that to be in effect in early February. February, which is a lot of heavy lifting for uh, legislators to pass that, have it go through the Senate and have uh, parts signed into law. So uh, we're already seeing some stuff with the supplemental that also includes Medicaid expansion. Interesting. So that is, I know that had been previously a question of whether that was going to move forward. It sounds like this year that's being handled as if this is not a question. People know they have to fund this. Well, it's, we'll see. (laughs) It was really interesting. I spent hours in the first like budget hearing where they talked about the supplemental budget and they spent over an hour talking about these proposed raises and I was gearing up for Medicaid. I was like, all right, that's going to be hours. They went through that incredibly quickly. So Hmm. I I don't know, maybe the budget committee knows, but I'm sure we're going to see some attempts maybe from how other House Democrats or even the Senate that might try to, to mess with that a little. You mentioned these proposed raises. I have certainly seen a number of studies that suggest that Missouri state employees are woefully underpaid. Is there bipartisan agreement that uh, Governor Parson is is up to something good here and these employees should get these raises? I, I would like to, th- I, I think so. Uh, you know, he announced his support. It's a 5.5% cost of living adjustment, as well as a new hourly minimum of 15. That's kind of the baseline. Democrats have already kind of thrown their support behind it. And a lot of Republicans, they're not disagreeing that Missouri state employees need to be paid more. They agree with that, but they're trying to see how exactly it fits in the budget. But, you know, State Budget Director Dan Hogg seems pretty comfortable that they're gonna, that Missouri is going to be able to pay their part for these raises. So we mentioned earlier um, that Democrats do have a bit of leverage that they're not accustomed to having. But let's face it, the Republicans do set the agenda in Jefferson City. That's what the voters have, have wanted. What do you see as the big Republican priorities after we get done with redistricting, after we get done with the budget? Well, I mean, that's a really good question. You know, we've we've only had kind of a week of hearings, but uh, already on the first week in the elections committee, there was initiative petition reform. Um, So I think that's going to be that and other voting bills, I think, are going to be pretty big uh, Republican uh, priorities. And this initiative uh, reform, uh, this would make it harder for uh, citizens groups or or just any groups, really, that are are gathering signatures to make big changes to Missouri's constitution. Is, Is that the idea? Yeah, more or less. It raises the threshold of that. And Republicans are saying it's a way to get kind of big corporations that are from out of state to influence, you know, elections. But others are saying, yeah, it'll make it harder to get 
initiative petitions from the people on the ballot. People have had some success with those kind of initiative petitions. Is that what's what driving the interest in, in reforming that process? Yeah, I think there is kind of the question of whether or not the Missouri Constitution should be changed as easily. You know, that's kind of the question is, you know, that's kind of, I think, one of the questions for sure. So even though Republicans have big majorities, um, that doesn't necessarily mean we've got unified caucuses here. There have been some tensions in the Senate in particular. What is going on there? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Um, So it's so funny. I spent a lot of my time in the House this week, but I did manage to attend the weekly news conference by Senate leadership yesterday. And they talked about the relationship between senators. There's already tensions. And there's also lingering unhappiness for how the veto session ended. There was a huge procedural debate of who can bring up a veto override. So I I joke, but it kind of reminds me of like Festivus. There's a lot of airing of grievances (laughs) happening kind of consistently. And um, it's a question of whether or not the Senate leadership can rebuild those bridges. Well, this is going to be very interesting to watch. It sounds like there's a lot going on, a lot of stuff that also has a lot of details. Do you see movement on any of these big things they're working on within the next week? Or is this more of a long process? Oh, I think it's more of a long process. Next, I think redistricting is the big thing. I think that's going to go through the House next week and hopefully will be in the Senate maybe as late as later, you know, next week. And then with the state of the state, you know, that kind of throws a wrench into like the regular procedurals. So I think those are kind of the immediates along with the uh, supplemental budget. But a lot of these, I think, are definitely long game. Well, I'm glad you mentioned state of the state. That is something that is going to be broadcast right on these airwaves. That is next Wednesday, I believe at 3 p.m. And Sarah Kellogg, I know you'll be there to cover it. And it'll just be very interesting to see what happens with that. So thank you for joining us today. And I look forward to further political conversations as this legislative session gets underway. Absolutely. (laughs) And Sarah is the St. Louis Public Radio State House reporter. This episode was produced by Jane Mather Glass with audio engineering and podcast design by Aaron Doerr. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. If you learned something new from today's episode, consider leaving us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the easiest way to help people discover our show. We appreciate it. Thank you. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, providing more than 41,000 jobs in the production of wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details at ChooseWood.com.